I'm Ben Foran. I'm Austin Letcher. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chords Cast. This podcast is created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. everybody, and thanks for joining us on this episode of Chordscast. Uh, it's hard to believe, but this is our sixth episode uh, that we've put out. So these are monthly uh, releases, and so we've been doing this for six months now. Uh, we appreciate all of the support that we've been getting from, uh, from our listeners. Um, if you're out there in podcast land and, and you'd like to uh, hear something from us, uh, if you'd like us to interview someone that you know, uh, if you yourself would like to be interviewed, please reach out. Um, also, you know, if you have any feedback, positive or negative, that you'd like to, to give us, we're always looking to improve this episode, uh, these episodes, and to um, make the the podcast um, really more tailored to the the rare disease community in general. So, if there's anything we can do for you, don't hesitate to reach out. We're pretty easy to get a hold of, aren't we, Austin? Um, you can uh, email us at cords, C-O-R-D-S, at sanfordhealth.org. Um, or you can uh, call us at any time. Austin, what's the phone number? one 658 9192 You kind of awesome. put me on the spot there. I, almost <laughs> I know. That was, a, that was a test. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, please let us know if there's anything that, uh, that we can do for you. Um, and, uh, and help us make this podcast as good as it can be. Um, in this episode, uh, we're going to, to be working really closely with one of our longest um, partners uh, in advocacy, the National Ataxia Foundation. Uh, Austin and Alyssa spent a, a good amount of time talking with Sue Hagen, uh, who is the Patient and Research Services Director at the NAF. Uh, she's going to speak a lot about what, what types of activities they've got going on. Um, they're a, a, a longstanding organization, and they've, they've got a lot of great stuff going on in the, um, in the uh, rare disease community. Um, and, and joining on the call was also Lauren Moore, um, who is an ataxia researcher from the University of Michigan, um, who has a, a, an interesting personal connection to um, to ataxia. So that's um, this will be a great episode um, to get a good introduction to what what it means to have ataxia and um, how you can get involved to, to help out. That's right. We really wanted to do this episode to uh, also help the National Ataxia Foundation promote their 2019 by 2019 initiative. Uh, you may have noticed if you've been listening to these podcasts, we interview a lot of our partners to help them kind of uh, uh, create a tool for recruitment. And this is definitely no exception. We definitely got the word out uh, about the 2019 by 2019 initiative. And uh, it's just a call to action to anyone with ataxia or anyone that is an unaffected carrier, a parent of someone with ataxia, or someone who might not know if they have ataxia yet and uh, are just at risk 
to get those individuals enrolled in cords so that we can hopefully connect them with researchers uh, like Lauren down the road. So I really hope that you all enjoy the episode. Absolutely. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and uh, enjoy. Another episode of Chords Cast, where the topics are on rare diseases. Joining us today is Sue Hagen from the National Ataxia Foundation and Lauren Moore, an ataxia researcher from the University of Michigan. I just want to start out by thanking you both for joining us. Thanks for having us. Alyssa, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. I'm just going to jump right into it today, and I want to hear from Sue. You know, what is your connection to the rare disease community? Sure. Thanks again for having this podcast. Uh, I've uh, been working on staff at the National Ataxia Foundation for 11 years. My um, role is the patient and research services director. And as such, I get to connect up with people who are affected with ataxia and their family members and caregivers to answer questions about the rare disease of ataxia as well as I facilitate our research program. And the National Taxi Foundation funds about a million dollars of research each year to help try to find uh, treatments and ultimately a cure for the rare disease of ataxia. Wow, that's awesome. That sounds like a really rewarding position that you have there, Sue. It is very rewarding, and over the years, I've been able to meet people affected with ataxia. Uh, I find families and, and those affected are, are they're very courageous. They're very inspiring for me to come to work each day as they face a very difficult disease um, that affects them so dramatically. And in addition, to connect up with researchers who are just passionate to find answers for this disease is also very rewarding and Lauren is one of them. <laughs> yeah and Lauren I'm I'm curious to know how you got connected to the rare disease community you know you're a researcher researching ataxia how did you know there's so many different diseases and conditions out there what what got you interested in this? Um, well, like many patients in the rare disease community, I had never even heard of a disease like ataxia until I actually had a loved one in my family, in my case, my father, tell me that uh, a, the most common dominant form of ataxia called spinocerebellar ataxia type 3 actually runs in my family. And it was the cause of uh, my, my wheel-bound grandmother's uh, deterioration later in life, as well as um, an onset of um, some clumsiness that I had recently noticed in my dad. Um, and so at the time when he told me I was about 22 years of age and I was finishing up my undergraduate and applying to graduate schools where I planned on uh, studying biotechnology. Um, and so once I, I heard about, uh, heard this, this uh, very life-changing information about my family and our family history and potential for my future, I, uh, I decided to make a, a switch in my career path and uh, switched over to um, study neuroscience uh, and I joined a PhD program in neuroscience at the University of Michigan and uh, for the last 
five years, I've been working with uh, Dr. Henry Paulson at the University of Michigan, uh, researching and trying to understand the causes of ataxia and testing and developing therapies for ataxia. Wow. It sounds like there is definitely some family motivation behind your interest in ataxia. <laughs> yep. Uh, my, my motivation is, is uh, a little selfish, but also meeting all of the other families that are also afflicted with this disease. It's, it's really hard to not want to be involved in kind of every step of the process from uh, talking to patients to getting in the lab and, and getting my hands dirty, trying to, to um, develop treatments and understand what are the causes of these diseases. So just backing up a little bit here, just for the audience, can you tell us what is ataxia exactly? So ataxia is a group of rare neurological disorders. And uh, though each of the different forms of individual ataxia can vary a little bit in phenotype and uh, different symptoms and age of onset, generally speaking, they all share a common progressive loss of balance and coordination that becomes worse, worse with age. Uh, and ataxia can be both uh, hereditary, meaning we uh, know a genetic cause of the disease and it can be passed from generation to generation, um, or sporadic, meaning that it can happen in a single individual in a family. I also have another question too, though, about ataxia is there are many different types of ataxias. Am I correct with mm-hmm. that? Yes, there are, I believe right now there are 36 dominant forms of ataxia. Um, and a number of recessive forms of ataxia as well. Wow. Do you do you feel like there are many other types out there that haven't been discovered yet? Um, yes. So there's a lot of different uh, what we call sporadic ataxias, mm. which right now basically means that we don't know what the genetic cause of them is. Um, but I believe that uh, through the years, many of these sporadic ataxias, we will be able to identify the, the genetic mutations that actually cause these diseases. Um, there are also some rare uh, environmental causes of ataxia um, that we're only beginning to understand. Sure, yeah. It sounds like there's a great need for a lot of awareness and advocacy around ataxia. Sue, uh-huh. can you tell us a little bit more, you know, what? how did you make the decision to become an advocate? As I started to work with those who are affected with ataxia, I, I, it's, it's, there's such an unmet need for these families. And I made a decision that I wanted to go to work every day and make a difference mm-hmm. in the life of a person with ataxia. And I thought long and hard on how would I do that. And I thought, because it's a rare disease, um, and because the National Ataxia Foundation is the only organization that, um, cares about all forms of ataxia, the recessives and the dominance, dominant and the um, sporadic, I thought I need to let them know about the National Ataxia Foundation. And so I set a goal, it sounds silly, but if you're a person who has ataxia, I want you to know who I am and what how our organization can help. If you're a researcher studying ataxia, looking for cures and treatments and causes, I want you to know me so that I can tell you about our research funding efforts and our scientific meetings. And I, and if you are a doctor who sees patients with ataxia, I want you to know me so that I can make sure that the National Taxi Foundation is telling people who call in and say, I need to see a neurologist who knows something about ataxia. So I just made it a real personal decision to try to get to know as many people to network them 
into the National Taxi Foundation and the services and, and things that we can provide. And the interesting thing has been just within the last four years, and as I mentioned, I've been here for 11 years, I now need to learn who are the pharmaceuticals who are developing treatments for this disease because we now have so much pharma interest that we never had before. And so I want them to know me and, and this will, will work very well with why we're having this podcast. And I want them to know about the CORDS patient registry because to recruit for their clinical trials is going to be tough because this is a rare disease and they'll be recruiting specific SCAs. So I um, hope we can talk a little bit more about um, encouraging people to enroll in the registry. Absolutely. I think that's an important part for us all to kind of focus in on. Uh, you did it already a little bit with your description of the National Taxia Foundation, but I want to dive a little bit deeper since we've been partners and friends for many years now. I've begun to learn a lot and really respect what you guys are doing over there at the National Taxia Foundation. I think you guys have support groups in almost every state, right? Uh, so my question is, can you give us a little bit of a history on how the National Ataxia Foundation came to be and what type of uh, support you offer and how to best reach out to you or to, to those support groups. The organization um, was founded in 1957 and it was founded by a family, a neurologist whose family uh, had this rare disease that nobody knew what it was back then. Eventually, it was defined as spinal cerebellar ataxia type 1, the first dominant gene that was discovered. And over the years, the focus of the foundation has been to find a cure and a treatment for ataxia, and while doing that, to provide support, support services for those affected and their family members and caregivers. And so, um, we provide, as you mentioned, local support groups across the United States. We uh, have an annual conference that is uh, essential for our families to come and hear from leading ataxia experts. We provide a lot of information. We get calls every day from people who just been diagnosed with ataxia and they don't know what to do or where to turn. And so we, we try to answer questions and as you said, advocate on their behalf for good neurology practices and more information. I want to step back a little bit to um, ask Lauren a question. You know, since uh -huh. you have a family member with ataxia and experience on the research side, what would your advice be to anyone um, either who's just received a diagnosis or to someone who... Uh, as a family member who's received an ataxia uh -huh. diagnosis, what should they do? I, I mean, my first piece of advice would be to first get informed and find your people. And one of the best places to do that is at the annual National Taxi Foundation meeting. Um, there are hundreds of patients and even more of their family members that attend this meeting every year. And for many patients, uh, for instance, a young person recently diagnosed with Friedreich's, um, they've never heard of Friedreich's, their parents have never heard of it, and they, they don't know anyone else who has this disease. Uh, many of them, unless they actually attend a National Ataxia Foundation, may never meet someone else with ataxia. Um, and so at these meetings, you get uh, highlights of all of the research. 
um, that's going on in the ataxy field and where uh, research funding is going um, to support uh, different initiatives um, for treatments. Um, but then there also are these small group meetings, um, both for patients specifically or for family members of patients, where you can kind of talk about your own experience and also just compare notes on different uh, symptomatic treatments or uh, lifestyle changes that have actually been um, very helpful in people's lives. And it's also a place where people can find their own support groups and friends uh, to stay in touch with throughout the year uh, when they, they're not at the meeting. And I will uh, also say that the National Taxi Foundation does have a number of travel grants um, where you uh, can apply to get funding to attend these meetings. And I know that every patient cannot attend a National Taxi Foundation meeting, whether that be um, because of uh, inability to travel or funding issues. Um, but I will say that there's a very vibrant uh, online ataxia community. Um, I'm actually part of a couple of different Facebook groups for ataxia patients and their family members. Yeah, and Lauren, if I can just add mm -hmm. that we will be, we've done this in the past couple of years, we live stream our, our morning general sessions mm -hmm. so that people can watch them. And then we also provide uh, video of those in, in YouTube videos after so that people can hear them if they weren't able to come to the meeting. And I'll do a shameless plug here <laughs> that the um, we are tomorrow actually will be the day we open registration for our 2019 annual taxi conference. It will be March 29th through 30th um, and it will be held at the Flamingo Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. That's great information and just to uh, make sure all our listeners know that that should be live currently as you're listening to it. We're recording this uh, before we release it, so go to the ataxia.org and, and register for their event. You'll probably see us there, too. So that that was great info, Lauren. Um, I think... I have... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. One other piece of advice that I would give uh, patients is if they are receiving the diagnosis of ataxia, from a neurologist, a general neurologist, and not from an ataxia clinic to uh, pursue uh, possibly making an appointment at um, one of many ataxia clinics that is designated and specializes in ataxia um, that are around the country. These centers generally have a number of other patient support options, including things like physical therapy, speech pathologist, uh, uh, specialists that can help with swallowing and um, other issues that uh, many ataxia patients have. Um, so if possible, see if there is an ataxia clinic uh, near you where you can get kind of more specialized care from someone who really knows a lot about your disease. Lauren, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That's, that is very important. Um, and you're right, it's not possible for everyone to be seen at an ataxia clinic. The, the major, we have them in Chicago and Atlanta, of course, Los Angeles, uh, Boston, Baltimore, other, others across the country. And that's all listed on our website. But uh, one of our speakers one year, one of the neurologists uh, said, if if you can do anything, if you could go to an ataxia clinic just once in your lifetime. And, and so if, if that's at all a possibility to, um, to something to think about. That's great advice, Sue. Uh, I want to kind of segue into another topic now, but uh, to tie it all together, I really liked 
um, kind of the story you were telling earlier about the National Ataxia Foundation and how, you know, you really got organized first and then you found your people and now you have this registry and now you have over a million dollars a year or near, nearly a million dollars a year that you're giving away towards research and now you're networking with pharma companies. Can you tell me why patients and families um, should participate in research for ataxia? The SMA trials, I don't know if you're familiar with spinal muscular atrophy and their recent great successes in, in treatments, um, but I was at the Society for Neuroscience meeting last week and the uh, one of someone in the, the crowd asked these three uh, specialists, what's the, what's the best advice that you have for other neurological diseases that are trying to uh, move a therapy into clinical trials and potentially into FDA approval? And they said the most important thing that led to the successes they have in SMA is that they had a very, very detailed natural history, um, which is just based on patients being willing to participate in research, um, studying the, the progression of their disease and the progression of their symptoms, which actually enabled them to run efficient clinical trials. Yeah, I think uh, the overarching thing that, that we hear or, or answer that we hear to this question is that um, research really drives treatment. And you can't have a treatment without the research and, you know, uh, and you can't have the research if you don't have the patients participating. And so I think that's kind of the overarching theme. So, Sue, why should patients and family members get involved in research on ataxia? You know, I'm going to quote Dr. Susan Perlman, who's our medical director, who's been um, in this field of ataxia for at least 30 years. And most every talk that she gives, she said, says, what I've learned, I've learned the most from my ataxia patients. And so to participate in research not only brings the field forward so that pharmaceuticals um, have the answers, it also educates neurologists themselves. And uh, we, we need patients to participate. Dr. Harry Orr, who is our research director, has a beautiful model where he talks about uh, you, you, to create a model of a disease, you often need uh, DNA from a patient. And then you learn about the disease using the models. And then when you've learned enough about the disease, you can bring it right back to the patient with a treatment. It's, it's a circle that he draws when he gives these um, talks. But without patient participation at every step, even with the early basic science, which Lauren might be able to speak to more as a basic scientist, to the clinicians who will do natural history studies, uh, to our um, friends at Utah who are collecting DNA to better understand the genetics and the different forms of ataxia, and then ultimately the pharmaceutical companies who are working very hard. They've developed a drug, but they need to have patients test the drug for not only um, for safety and efficacy, and hopefully that brings that drug to FDA approval. And it, none of it can happen without patients absolutely an integral part of the of this piece. Absolutely. I, I would like to echo that. Uh, that's something that we believe at Cords too. Patients are the experts, so uh, we should all learn from the experts, right? And uh, we need those experts to participate in research in order to educate 
um, scientists like Warren. Point blank, a lot of the research being conducted in my lab by myself and other researchers couldn't actually be possible without patient involvement in research. Uh, a lot of what we learn from a lot about we a lot of what we learn um, about how ataxia um, affects uh, the brain at the cellular level depends on uh, donated blood samples or skin biopsies from SCA patients and other forms of ataxia. Um, and actually, a lot of the time when we have uh, a theory about what may be driving ataxia that could lead us to, to a better understanding of the disease, uh, we, we really rely heavily on um, post-mortem tissue uh, brain tissue donated from uh, patients who had suffered with ataxia. Um, and uh, so both, so at the basic level of trying to understand what causes ataxia and what drives uh, cellular dysfunction, a lot of that is learned directly from patients and the blood or tissue that they donate to research. Lauren, that's really a great comment that you've made because just on Friday, uh, a young man passed away and it was his wish to donate his brain, and that was accomplished. And the family wrote to me today, and the question was, well, how can we be sure that our, our um, loved one's brain tissue will be used? And I could, uh, I could tell her that, yes, it will be. Yeah, I, I will say that the brain tissue is one of the most valuable and rare resources we have, and we only go to it when we really have an important question that needs to be answered. And it is definitely not something that us researchers take lightly. Uh, so going out to that family, if they're listening, we want to thank you for your donation. And I promise you that the brain is being put to, to good use. And then what other, I, if I can just continue on about why it's important for patients to participate in research. Uh, when we do actually have a, a strong candidate for um, a potential therapy, which we actually are lucky enough that for many of these diseases, we are kind of on the cusp of actually being able to bring a potential therapy into clinical trials. This can only be done if we have, um, if we can prove to pharmaceutical companies that we have enough patients to conduct the, the size of trials that we need. And one of the best ways of doing that is having a registry of patients that are ready and willing to participate in clinical trials. And in addition to these, you know, we're all looking forward to that, that clinical trial of a potentially successful treatment. But even just getting to that clinical trial, uh, one of the most important things that needs to be conducted is these very long-term longitudinal natural history studies. So these are studies where we take a number of ataxia patients and we um, track them over a number of years and track the, num the progression of uh, different symptoms. And it could also involve things like blood donation or even now uh, the collection of cerebrospinal fluid. Um, and this is so that when we do have a good uh, potential drug candidate that we will be able to in a very uh, short amount of time and with a very sensitive system, say whether a drug is improving a patient's symptoms um, or preventing progression of symptoms um, in, in the amount of time uh, required for a clinical trial. It sounds like research is very critical for finding these treatments and cures with 
ataxia and just rare diseases in general. You also touched on a registry such as the CORDS registry. Sue, I've been hearing about this 2019 by 2019. Can you explain to me and for those of everyone out there listening, what does that, what is that? What does that mean? 2019 um, by 2019 is just um, a little campaign that we're running that's trying to motivate and encourage um, our community to enroll in the registry. We have currently about 1,711 people enrolled and what we want to do is have 2,019 people enrolled by the year 2019. Now my, my real goal, I had hoped that I could announce on January first that we have 2019 people enrolled in our courts registry uh, that that would mean we're going to have a lot of activities going to happen have to happen between now and the end of December to meet that goal yeah I think it's a great initiative and I think uh, that's a perfect call to action to kind of uh, in this podcast so if you're a patient with ataxia or a family member uh, that is at risk with ataxia, you should really get in touch with Alyssa or myself. You can reach out to us at cords at sanfordhealth.org, and we can answer any of your questions on um, how to get enrolled, uh, help you with any troubleshooting, or you can just give us a call at one 658 9192 and you'll get either Alyssa or myself, and we'll help you through that process. So I really just want to thank both Sue and Lauren today and uh, let everybody know that's listening that they are you know tremendous assets to the community the ataxia community out there and and NAF is one of our oldest uh, standing partners and we've learned a lot from each other so uh, I think if there are any other advocates listening to this in rare disease that maybe don't have um, a foundation yet or something it's groups like the National Ataxia Foundation that have really taught us uh, what works best. So please, if you're interested in reaching out to uh, Sue or Lauren, get in touch with us and we'll do our best to put you in touch. So thanks, Sue. Thanks, Lauren. Yes, well, thank you. Well, thank you, Austin. It's been really a pleasure to get to work with Sanford Research and the Courts Patient Registry and you and Alyssa all of these um, years. So thank you. Yes, thank you for uh, letting me participate in this. And I, I really look forward to working more with Courts in the future. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes' song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry chords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org slash chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Chordscast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Chordscast.